My good people, what is happening? What's going on? Another Monday to start off your week with a lot of sports talk as we enter one of the most important and busiest sports months of the year. I'll get into it all on this edition of the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. Hope everybody's doing well on this Monday, getting your week off to a good start. Everything's good and what's happening with you personally, feeling good, doing well. That's all we want to hear as I deliver everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the gridiron, the world of the ice, hardwood, racetrack, golf course, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. Uh, If this is your first time listening to the J-Rose podcast, wondering, hey, this new sports podcast, what is this guy all about? What does he have to say? Well, first off, I do want to welcome you aboard to this program as uh, all the aforementioned sports that I get into with a little local flair, considering I'm from the Bronx, New York, with uh, a lot of sports teams here, but obviously, I talk about everything that's going on, not only from a local standpoint, but regional and national perspective, and for those who have uh, tuned in more than once, twice, three times, ten times, 31 times, as this is episode 31, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. It is the first day of October, here in the year of our Lord, 2018, so much to discuss. Again, one of the best sports months of the year. I think April, to me personally, is the best sports month. And a lot of people could argue that back and forth and say, Jay Reels, what are you talking about? NFL's in full swing. Major League Baseball playoffs are about to kick off. NBA season two weeks away. NHL starts on uh, Wednesday night. Come on, what gets any? You know, what's better than that? Well, in April, you have not only the NHL and NBA playoffs underway but you also have the major league baseball season which is in full swing or getting ready to be in full swing final four nfl draft the masters listen splitting hairs for the most part but you get my drift but hey you cannot discard october as far as being one of the most important and favorable sports month for a lot of people out there and with so much to discuss i want to get into the nhl a little bit as the season again as i mentioned kicks off on wednesday Going to the, dissect the locals a little bit. And as we all know throughout the years, if you've listened to this program, hockey, which was probably one of my biggest strengths going back three decades ago, is now uh, very minor when it comes to uh, what's going out there in the league. But uh, I've done some homework, especially with the three teams, Rangers, Islanders, and Devils here. So you'll get my uh, take on what to expect or possibly to expect for this upcoming 2018-19 campaign. All of the NFL Week 4 stuff, I tell you, week in and week out, the NFL is not only just unpredictable, but it's just wild, wacky, crazy with just all the twists and turns of uh, uh, just a regular game, let alone just a season. And it seems as if one week seems to be overmatched, then you get to the following week and it just tops that off. So we got all that to discuss. The Jets and Giants did not fare well, as well as my beloved Steelers. And I'm going to get my pound of flesh on the Steelers as I think that their season is done. And people could say, oh, Jay Reels, you're overreacting. That's just the fan and you coming out. No, there are some major holes on this team. And one of them being Antonio Brown. I know there's been a lot of talk about him. I'll save that for later. But I think the one person that he misses on this team is Le'Veon Bell. And I'll explain why uh, in the next segment. But we're going to start off with the baseball. That's right. We have two playing games in the National League, really for the division crowns of the NL Central and NL West. You got two games, Milwaukee at Chicago at 1 o'clock, followed by Colorado at LA, the Dodgers, at 4 o'clock. The winner of those games will, of course, have a bye, where the two losers of today's playing games 
will face one another tomorrow. And probably should have taped this later on, but again, it's early Saturday or early Monday, I should say, uh, here. And I wanted to get the podcast out with so much to discuss and so much to get into that I just did not want to wait to 7.30 or 8 o'clock to talk about the wild card matchups or the potential wild card matchups. I figured that, hey, uh, if anything, let me just get into it full stream with everything that's going on. And of course, locally, everybody wants to talk about the Yankees. And with the Yankees, as they won 100 games this year, and I know a lot of people over the last few weeks are wondering whether or not this team was going to gel in time with the injuries and the possibility of them having to even go to Oakland to play this wild card game, which I didn't think that was going to be a possibility. The Yankees, I thought, were always in control, despite the fact that they have not played crisp baseball over the last, let's face it, two months. But they played well down the stretch here this final week where they won five of seven. I understand Tampa was already out of it and the Red Sox have long clinched. So they had plenty of time and plenty of opportunities to just string along some games, as I said on last week's podcast, for them to go ahead and get some type of rhythm to get into October baseball as fluid and not only that, but as efficient as they possibly can. Because as we all know, you know, they just haven't been seen the pitching well, whether it's CC Sabathia, whether it's uh, their bullpen that has not been in disarray, but certainly has not performed up to the capability of what you look at the back of the baseball cards of a lot of these players, whether it's, you know, the Zach Brittons of the world, even Del Batances. You know, we were looking time and time again for this bullpen to be locked down, and they can be. I'm not trying to say that they won't. I'm not trying to stand here and say that this is not going to be the case come Wednesday night or if they do beat the A's in the wildcard game that moving forward that they cannot be that dominant force in the postseason. And we all know about their offense as lethal as it is now that they've had the crown of the most home runs hit by a team in a regular season. But we all know that there's a lot of guys that are going into this playoff for the very first time whether it's the young guys and the Miguel Andujars and the Gleyber Torres of the world, or a guy like Giancarlo Stanton who was brought here for this reason, for the, that guy, not to say that he was the final piece or the missing piece, but a guy who's been in the major leagues for eight years. We all know his resume. We all know what he's done. And now that he's come to New York to play in this game, to be in the spotlight, a lot of the pressure I would think is going to be on him. Not to say it all falls on him, but remember, seven years in Miami, nowhere near the playoffs, and now it's going to get ratcheted up. If he thought these, this year was a roller coaster ride to begin with, wait till he sees what's going to take place there on a Wednesday night there in the Bronx. But we could talk about this game from top to bottom, matchups, this, and whatever it's going to be. But baseball as it is right now in 2018, it's, especially in the postseason, it's going to be a mishmash just to get to the finish line. And what I mean by that is you're going to have two guys are going to start, which right now it's not official as to who's going to start in the game. You would think with the Yankees, it would probably be Masahiro Tanaka. Tanaka's the more trustworthy candidate to start considering the second half that Luis Severino had, which he certainly was nowhere near the first half pitcher. That he, I mean, the guy was leading the league in probably Cy Young votes. And could have been number one as far as a Cy Young candidate in the American League at the All-Star break. But since then, he has not been the same pitcher. 
And a lot of people think that whether it be Tanaka or even Jay Happ, who since the trade from Toronto to New York has pitched well above expectations, well above anybody that could, you know, could fathom or imagine. But do you trust Jay Happ considering what he's done here since late July? Could he be able to take the ball in an enormous spot with all the pressure squarely on the Yankees to win this game, considering what they did last year, all the offseason moves, all the in-season moves for them to give the ball to a guy like that. And not to say that Jay Happ is not capable of doing it. You know, this isn't a guy who's just, you know, second or third year in the league. He's been around. But do you want to, as I like to say, push all your chips to the middle of the table with Jay Happ? And it's understandable why you'd want to put him in the lineup. To have him start. Left-handed pitcher. You don't have to worry about left-handed hitters taking the ball deep, especially in that ballpark. We all know that right field the Yankee Stadium is a joke. And we know the A's have a lot of power. So you want them to be more from the right side. And they have a lot of right-handed dominant power as it is. You know, the Chris Davis is the world, Matt Chapman. But even if Jay Happ goes out and pitches, you know, an inning of third and he's given up three runs, guess what? All hands on deck. The bullpen's going to come out. And they're for sure going to roll out however many relievers to get this game in the bag. And then for them to move on to the division series. And that's how pretty much this postseason is going to be. Not even just for the Yankees, but I think for every team. Because you're starting to see now more in the regular season than ever with certain teams. And Oakland being one of them. Where they'll be perfectly fine starting whomever it may be for one or two innings. And then just handing the keys off to the next reliever. And then they'll pass the keys to the next guy. And hopefully eke out a win and get out of Dodge to move to the next round. You know, you could definitely see Oakland doing that. And I'm sure in today's wildcard games, with both Milwaukee, Chicago, Colorado, and L.A., now mind you, all of their rotation is going to be out of whack because you just don't know where the chips are going to fall here. You know, if you're the Dodgers, you had Clayton Kershaw pitch in San Francisco over the weekend. Rich Hill pitched last night. You may have Ross Stripling pitching in that game today. I don't even know if it was announced just yet. Let me see. I got to look that up. Oh, no. You're going to have Walker Bueller is going to pitch today against Herman Marquez of Colorado. And even the Brewers, they can't even decide. Julie Chassin may be starting the game. But again, they're going to go bullpen by committee for the all nine innings and beyond if that's the case. And we know that the Brewers have a very good bullpen. Probably the best in the National League, arguably. So you know they're going to piecemeal it together and hope to win that game so they could kick off their playoff on Thursday because, again, this is for a division. And you want to be able to win that game, not have to worry about playing a game tomorrow where you're going to have to, for chance, you know, all intents and purposes, you're going to max out your bullpen, you're going to max out your players, and then you don't know where you're going to travel if you're the loser of that game. Well, chances are Milwaukee, Chicago, they're going to have the home field. So because they obviously just looking at the records, they have a better record than both Colorado or L.A. So even if the Brewers were to lose or the Cubs were to lose, they're going to host that game tomorrow. So they're not going to travel too far. You know, Milwaukee's just an hour and a half up the road in Wisconsin if they were to lose a game and play a game tomorrow. So it's not as if they have to fly cross-country or a couple time zones 
to play that wild card game. So now, going back to the Yankees, how you look at this game and how you look at any postseason series or one game in this case, it's all about pitching and it's all about timely hitting. Just think about the wild card game last year when the Yankees were already in a 3-0 hole against the Twins. And who had the big hit in the bottom of the first inning timely? Didi Gregorius. Hitting the three-run homer, gets the equalizer, and the Yankees pretty much took off from there. We all know that if you cannot get runners in from second or you go pretty much one for ten with runners in scoring position in a postseason game and especially in a wild card game, chances are you're not going to win that game. I mean, unless your pitcher's throwing up zeros. And with the Yankees right now, not knowing who the starters are going to be for these games, and you would think it's going to be Tanaka. For the A's, I mean, who knows? The A's, it could be a million people. Could it be Mike Fires? Chances are it may be him. But I think they, I wouldn't be surprised if they go bullpen by, you know, bullpen by committee and try to ride this out because of pretty much Oakland A's, that's their their team. Their team is that type of team where although they don't have the lockdown starter, they don't have the dominant ace, they know that in a one-game playoff, hey, not only is it going to be all hands on deck, but we're just going to go with either a hot hand or we're just going to go with the guys that have rode us here all season long. And it's an Oakland A's team that won 97 games. And I, I think nobody even expected or imagined that that was going to be possible considering what the A's have done over the last few years. And the A's have had success. If you want to look at the regular season, when they came to Yankee Stadium, they won just one of three. Yankees took two out of three in the Bronx, but that was way back in May. And as we all know, they just played as recent as last month, just a few weeks ago, where Oakland took two or three out in the Coliseum. You can't look at those games and use that as any barometer because as we all know, one game, I mean, it's like an NFL playoff game. That's all there is to it. I think the Yankees are going to win this game. They'll find a way. I get that Oakland is the type of team that is just a grind out, lunch pail. Yes, they have power, but they don't have a sexy lineup or a sexy pitcher. They have a very good bullpen that's anchored by Blake Trinan, who's probably going to get votes for the Cy Young in the American League. He's not going to win it, but he's had just a lights out year as the closer of this team. But I think when all is said and done, the Yankees will move on to play the Red Sox in a division series, which I think is going to be fascinating. It's not seven games, it's five. We don't know the status of Chris Sale. We, I'm sure he's going to pitch, but how effective he's going to pitch remains to be seen. The Red Sox obviously have all the pressure with their historic season and what they've accomplished over the course of 162 games. And by the time we're on the air next week, we'll already be deep into a series where we'll kick off on Friday. In fact, it'll actually be game three Monday. And time's schedule that's to be determined. We got to get through this wild card round and obviously the National League with what they have to take care of today in order to look at the schedule to see what time and what you figure that that Monday, that will be a, a game where the chances are there will probably be a prime time because Houston Cleveland's not going to play on at 8 o'clock. That will probably be the first game, 4-07, I guess. And game three will be in Cleveland since Houston has the home field. 
But if you're the Yankees, it all comes down to this. And this is a game where I'm sure fans are going to be nervous because Oakland is not going to be a pushover. You know, they played well all season. They didn't come this far to just fall flat on their face. As we all know, anything can happen. But I'm sure the Yankee fan, they feel, I would think they'd feel confident or maybe even cautiously optimistic if you're just the cynical Yankee fan. I don't know many cynical Yankee fans. In fact, I don't know any. But I would think the Yankees, no matter who pitches, and obviously their bullpen is just as good and we can certainly match up with anybody's out there. But again, it's going to come to key spots of the game. Who's going to get the timely hit? Who's going to get the big two-out hit? You know, if they're trailing 3-1, you know, who's going to get that big double? That's what it's going to be about. But I think the Yankees, with everything that they've done last year, nobody cares that, you know, at this point that they went to Game 7 of a ALCS, but to build off from that, knowing that they're coming into this season or coming into this postseason, knowing that some of the players who were on that team last year are going to be primed to get there again. But as we all know, this game, hey, baseball, this wild card game could be very humbling as the New Yorkers have gotten a taste over the years. Not last year with the Yankees prevailing against Minnesota, but as a Met fan in 2016, and even as a Yankee fan in 2015. Now, again, that was a whole different team back then. But you know that feeling that everything that you've played for, everything that you've watched as a fan leading up to that one game and for it to just fizzle away if they come out on the losing end, it's, it's for naught. And I will say this, it will be a bitter, bitter, I don't care how the, I don't care if the Yankees are down 10-1 and they come back and lose 10-9 and they were valiant in their comeback. Well, they lose one nothing at 10-9. They lose this game. This will be a bitter loss. And even if they lose 10-1. Because everything that was banked on this season. And I get it that they didn't have the starting pitching that some of these other teams in the postseason has. You know, they don't have Houston's pitching. They didn't even have Cleveland's pitching. So when you look at it from that regard, I mean, the Yankees are behind the eight ball just as far as their starting rotation goes against those two teams. And one of those two teams are going to be gone if the Yankees do go deep in the postseason. So they're either going to face Cleveland if they win their game against Oakland and they beat Boston. And we all know Boston has a very good rotation, as I mentioned about Sale, but we don't know you know, how healthy he is. And despite the fact that David Price with the Yankees always kill, and I'm sure that the Yankee fans, they're not afraid of the Red Sox starting pitching. But again, you get past the Red Sox and I'm looking too far down the road, but... You know, you may be staring at Verlander, Charlie Morton, Garrett Cole, and Dallas Keuchel. Just as you'll stare, you know, Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, and I understand people could say, oh yeah, but we beat them last year, especially Kluber twice in five games. All right, but then now it's a whole new year. So you don't know what's going to happen. And that's the beauty of baseball in this regard. So it's not usually like the NBA where the best team wins. You know, it's not like there's a Golden State Warriors and then there's everybody else. Cleveland, for everything that they've done this year, and they're in a terrible division, and they've also coasted too, just kind of like the Yankees have to a degree, knowing that their fate was sealed, getting swept by the Red Sox there in early August, and knowing that the division was pretty much going to be out to sea that they were playing for a wild card. 
So from then on out, it was just a matter of them battling with Oakland, even Seattle, to a certain extent, at that juncture. But yeah, they knew that, all right, no division, but hey, we're just pretty much going to play for the home field advantage for the wild card, and that's it. So Cleveland's out coming into this thing, knowing the bitter disappointment of last year and all the wins that they, you know, a 22-game winning streak and up 2-0 against the Yankees, and we know how that unfolded. But I think it's going to be a very fascinating postseason, especially in the American League. And I think the Yankees, I think the Yankees will play the Red Sox, and that's a, that's going to be a very scary series, especially if Sale's not healthy. I can almost see the Yankees beating the Red Sox. I really can. And just to make some predictions before we move on to some other things. Now, the NL is kind of tough to gauge only because of those games today that are taking place. But I think the Brewers, they have just been hot for the last couple of months. Now, watch me saying that they'll cool off, lose today, and then they'll lose a wild card game tomorrow and then their season's over. And that's the tricky thing because as hot as they played, they won seven in a row coming into this game today. You would think that this is a team that is going into the postseason probably as hot as anybody in Major League Baseball. But as we all know, it could turn on the dime. But, you know, I'm going to go with that hot hand. I think Milwaukee has a long run in them. Do they have a World Series run? That remains to be seen. But right now, I could see the Cubs... They've been the most consistent team. I know they've been up and down and they haven't really been, they haven't been consistent. Let's face it. I take that back. They've been a team that, although they played well and they've certainly have been the front runner there in the central pretty much the whole year. I can't see them all of a sudden just folding up their tents and that's it. Now, John Lester's not going to pitch today. Jose Quintana is going to pitch in that game for the the, uh, NL Central. But I just see the Cubs, and just with their talent, having a deep postseason run. And it's easy for me to say, hey, Houston's going to go back in the well, and they're going to do what they do. But I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the day. That's right, I'm going to say this. That you see the Yankees playing the Cubs in the World Series. And I'm not trying to reverse jinx it for the Yankee fans. And, oh, no, there it is. J. Rue is going to pick the Yankees. And we all know that by him picking the Yankees, I could see them failing in the wild card game or not going any further than that. I mean, the Yankee team's loaded. They won 100 games. And why not? You know, it's not as if the Yankees came in here and have 88 wins or you know, they luckily made it to 92. No, they won 100 games. The team is good. They're World Series worthy. I understand they have not played well these last two months, and I get it that you can't just turn on the switch and expect to be in the World Series in five minutes, but I can see Yankees-Cubs. Why not? Throwing it out there. I'd like to see Milwaukee make a deep run. It'd be nice to see a team other than, you know, the usual big teams that you see there, especially in the American League. National League. Is Colorado ready to make that big step? Eh, I don't know. Dodgers, of course, we've seen them over the last few years. So, I'm saying Yankees-Cubs in the World Series, and I'll say the Cubs. Cubs in six. The Yankees will have the home field, though. Because remember, they have the better record. Because they don't do the... uh, Obviously, with the All-Star game, they don't have the winner of the All-Star game 
whichever league hosts the World Series. So the Cubs will be on the road. So I will I'll just say the Cubs make the Yankee fan upset. Hey, I picked you guys to go to World Series, so there you go. Uh to move on to before we move on to football, let me one last word about the Mets. And I'm not gonna dissect everything about their season. We all know where their season imploded. And we know how we got here. There's no need to Monday morning quarterback about what this team's going to do in the future. And no. The one thing is, though, that it is Jacob DeGrom's turn to pitch today. But, oh, that's right. They don't have a game today. As far as DeGrom, I mean, what could you say? The guy by far was the best pitcher, not just in the National League, but in all of baseball. Because his numbers go up against any of those guys whether it's Blake Snell, Corey Kluber, even Chris Sale for that matter. DeGrom ends a phenomenal season, which he should get the hardware. If he doesn't, they need an investigation. And for those that think that 10-9, and nine, oh, well, he only won 10 games. How can you compare that to what Aaron Nola did or Max Scherzer? Now, Scherzer didn't even pitch yesterday in their final game against, I believe they played Colorado. So how is it that, and he fell apart down the stretch as well. So when you look at DeGrom and what he's done, and when you look at the numbers, you know, and again, you can't predict this stuff and you certainly can't look at it from this lens, but if you want to just put it out there and have some fun with it, if the Mets had scored at least four runs in all of his starts, four runs, that's it. You think they got four runs? It's nothing. They can get four runs from him. He'd be 30-0. and And if they scored three runs for him, just three in his starts, he would have been 25-1. and that's it. That's all you need to know. And that's why wins in this day and age is not a big stat. Now, growing up, of course, wins were huge. You know, anytime a pitcher was a 20-game winner, was, winner was a big deal. But as we all know, those are days that are long gone, that are days that will certainly not be revisited. And you also got to remember, too, that pitching was also based not just on wins, but also on innings pitched. And even more so complete games and shutouts. And we know that that's a whole different world. Now it's about whip. It's about war. Let's throw that in the mix. It's about run prevention. And when Jacob deGrom's ERA was more than a half run better than Aaron Nola or more than that, Max Scherzer, then guess what? He did his job. And despite the fact that the Mets were awful this year, he wasn't. And all those games where he had quality starts... All those games where, you know, he threw whatever, seven innings, eight innings, you know, one run or, you know, two hit ball, no runs, 10 strikeouts, which was his final line for uh, the season in that final game against the Braves. What could you say? The Grom was just otherworldly. Definitely up in the ranks of Dwight Gooden, 85, and anything that Tom Seaver ever did as a Met. And then lastly, David Wright, nice send-off there on Saturday. Had two at-bats, walked, and then popped up the first, and that was it. And then you had also Jose Reyes and a ground out in his last at-bat, which all likelihood it's going to be his last at-bat as a Met. Now let's see where uh, who's going to be the next leader of this ball club. You know, Wright got his wish. It was sad that it, it came to this, but they he had his moment. The fans came out. Obviously, he was grateful, thankful. And the captain number five, which I'm sure he'll get his number retired at some point, and deservedly so, despite the fact that you know he 
didn't have the full career that a lot of people thought he'd have. That even at 35, that what he is now, he would be 36 in December. How he would have shattered all the Met records, and he shattered most of them, but you know, doesn't have the home runs, games played, things of that nature. And if he was healthy over the last few years, and certainly at 35, he probably would have had a couple of years left to finish out that contract. He would have added to that. And as I've said before, David Wright was not one of my favorite Mets. Not that I had anything against him or disliked him. I mean, of course, I love, you know, I like David Wright. Can't say I love David Wright. Because David Wright is a guy that he fit better in a lineup that was deeper when you look at those 06, 07, 08 teams. When he, he had to shoulder a lot of the offensive burden on the team, he's just not that type of player. But again, the guy was class. He's an all-time Met. And I believe he deserves to get his number retired up there with Piazza, Casey Stengel, Gil Hodges, Tom Seaver. And that's your baseball people. Uh, let's move over to the football now. And I'll try to zip through this because NFL, we could talk forever about this. Uh, as far as the locals are concerned, Jets, I mean, what are you going to say? They were going to be overmatched in Jacksonville with that defense. Bortles had a very good game. Obviously, was even just as good, if not better, than he did was against uh, New England a couple weeks back. And Jacksonville is that type of team that you, when you're the Jets and you have a rookie quarterback, once you're behind the game by two scores, it's going to be an uphill battle all afternoon, which it was. And even though at 13 nothing, when the Jets were looked like they were trying to get back in the game, they had that, uh, what was it, uh, maybe with less than two minutes to go in the half, where Darnold missed on a, a Nunwa down there on the sideline, overthrew him. And then right before that, the play where they almost had a completion there, and, you know, of course, they went for it on fourth down after that where they, you know, Anunua was overthrown even though he was wide open. That's when you knew it was going to be the Jets' day. And Donald could have been picked off three times. He was actually intercepted at one point, but it was taken back on a penalty, on a hold by uh, A.J. Boye. And with the Jets, this is what you expect. I understand you looked back in the Monday night game and it was something that it was almost like you were in a dream, that you wanted to be pinched because there's no way that this is happening. And... Not to say that you were thinking week in and week out that's how the Jets were going to be or they were going to be this team that's going to be a juggernaut, but you got to remember, they had returns there from the defense and a punt return for a touchdown. So when you get those extra points there on the board, it certainly makes the final score look a lot bigger and a lot better than what it would normally. And you know you weren't going to get that week in and week out. And now that three weeks after that, in games that you were in, I don't, you were, to me, you weren't in this Jacksonville game. But, you know, the Dolphin game, obviously you had opportunities. You know, and in the following week in the game against Cleveland, what can you say? You had a 14-0 lead in Cleveland and weren't able to pull it out. But you know with this Jet team, it was going to be about the quarterback. Of course, he needs to play better. We all know he's going to have his bumps and bruises. And against a defense like that, it's going to be a long afternoon. Especially when... You know, they had a two-score lead. And all you could do now, if you're a Jet fan, you just hope that they can just continue to somehow, some way build and that the quarterback gets better over the course of the season. Now, when I say better, you just want him to be a little bit more efficient and just better in his decision-making. I mean, you're not going to expect, when I say better, you're not going to expect, you know, 22 or 20 for four touchdowns and, you know, 280 yards. 
I'm not saying better in that regard. You, those baby steps that hopefully he's able to you know, read the field, read defenses, make plays. We all know he has the ability. We all know he has the talent. And we all know he's going to be here for quite some time. But you certainly want to see those baby steps. You want to see the progression. And not only that, but also on the defensive side too. And as you turn your attention to the Giants, it's the total opposite. Because although the Jet fan wants to have that pie in the sky and hope to, hey, get to 7-9, and nine, which there's no moral victories, but considering what you've done the last two years without having that franchise quarterback, you figure, hey, 7-9 and nine will be a nice step. Or even, God forbid, you know, God willing, 8-8. Eight and eight. But now with the Giants, when you look at what they've done, and we talked about it in the podcast previously, when you have the offense that they have, and no Evan Engram, I get that, and defense, there's some holes, guys out, Olivier Vernon, Eli Apple, just to name those two guys. When you come in with a, to a season with a lot of promise and expectations, and you start one and three, and your offense, and I get your offensive line has not been good in the first four games. In fact, it's been bad. But you would think that you would have enough talent and enough to make plays down the field to be able to put up points. You know, you still have a running back that's green, but at the same time is explosive. We all know about Beckham. Sterling Shepard obviously is a very good receiver. You have guys on that team that can make plays. And for whatever the reason, I don't know what Pat Shermer's doing. I understand he's not Eric Coriel, so he's not going to air it out and Part of that being the offensive line, but at the same time, all you see is checkdowns and slants, and we get it. Offenses are going to be—it's a timing, it's a rhythm offense. We get it that you know the, once the ball is out, you want to protect the quarterback. Understood. But when you have the numbers that Eli Manning has, and I understand last week, notwithstanding, because he had a very good game against the Texans, but when you look at his stats at the end of the day. And nothing, and not to say every week has to be 400 yards. That I, I totally understand as well. But if you're Eli Manning and you look at that final stat count where it's, you know, 255 yards, he's thrown. Okay, so you look at that, all right, fine. A lot of that, of course, was late. But 31 for 41, you got to give me better than that. And then, of course, the one touchdown was on the opening drive, which you kind of thought 75 yards, all right, great. We know the Saint defense has underperformed this year. Maybe we could jump on them early, try to pat onto that lead. We know the Saints are going to score. They're going to have their moments where they're explosive. And this is the thing that bugs you if you're a Giant fan is that Eli had a 31 for 41, obviously very efficient, but only 255 yards. And then you look on the other side of the coin and Drew Brees, and when you see his stats, that he goes 18 for 32 for 217, no touchdowns. You're thinking, oh, how many points did the Giants win by? Instead, they lose by... Two scores. You know, 33-18. Obviously, the Giants just seem to underperform on offense. I don't know what Shermer... Listen, we know he's an offensive mind, and we all know that he's capable of putting up a good offensive game plan, but you got to wonder, after that opening drive, it was almost as if everything was dink and dunk. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, they got to stretch the field and play like the 1980 San Diego Chargers, but you're expecting a lot more out of this offense. And again, people are going to look back, oh, what about the offensive line? Eli's not going to have time. You know, he was sacked how many times yesterday? You know, three times. 
I mean, you know, it's not as if he was under siege like he was in the Cowboy game. So now, if you're a Giant fan, this season is slowly slipping right through your hands. And the schedule's not getting any easier. You know, you got to go to Carolina. You're playing the Eagles. You got the Falcons. And I know the Falcons, they, they had their own issues to deal with. But we all know the Falcons could be explosive on offense. And they also have a ton of injuries on defense. So that's a game that right now you can look at and say, well, hey, maybe that's a game the Giants can win. But yeah, at that point, what are you going to be, 2-5? and five? And if you're 2-5 and five in this league, you forget it. 3-4, and four, you may have an outside shot. And remember, the NFC's loaded. You know, it's not like the AFC where, yeah, you got a couple of teams that are top-heavy. But everybody, everybody else is kind of jockeying for 3-6. to six. In the NFC... One and three, two and four, two and five, whatever it is, man, that you have a fight just to get to nine wins. And I get that their schedule is easier in the second half of the season. But yesterday was a game that the Giants, I'm not going to say that they should have won because they shouldn't. The Saints made more plays. Saints were a lot more efficient in their offense. And Kamara had a, just an explosive second half. Because the Giant defense did their job in the first half. They... Made the Saints kick field goals. They only had the four field goals in the second quarter. But then after that, it was Alvin Kamara left. Alvin Kamara right. Ended up on 135 yards, including the capper, that 49-yard touchdown run to ice the game. And all you could do right now is just look forward to next week. You somehow, some way have to look. You can't look at this season as a whole if you're the Giants right now. Because if you do that, you might as well just pack it up and get ready for the draft. And it's a shame because I know a lot of Giant fans were excited. They were giddy. They figured that, hey, we got a new toy in our toy box with Saquon and with Eli coming back. And I'm not going to get into the whole, oh, who should they draft it? I mean, that's going to be the question that's going to be forever. But it's not going to be answered this year. But you have to wonder whether or not that this offense is going to be able to wake up. And I won't even get into the whole, they haven't scored 30 points in the last 37 games. I won't even say that. But one thing that they really need to do here over the course of this stretch of games these next three games are going to be tough for them before they get to the second half of the season and hopefully lightens up where they could go ahead and try to make some waves in a division because right now you're in a division that is actually winnable yeah Cowboys came from behind yesterday all right fine Carson Wentz although he's back and has played well you know Eagles haven't shot out of the gate Redskins had a bye yesterday, so, you know, technically they're a game and a half behind first place. So the division still could be had. It's not as if somebody's off and running where you could forget about the division and then wild card, huh, good luck. Because there's a bunch of other teams in the NFC that are trying to do that as well. Including teams like the Cowboys, even the Seahawks, who righted the ship after an 0-2 start. So, Giant fans, I know it's, not the start you wanted. And it could probably even get uglier if this offense somehow, some way can't get that ball in the end zone. Yeah, because they can move the ball. You know, you've heard the term. They can move it from the 20 to the 20s, but they can't punch it in. So Shermer certainly has to roll up his sleeves and has a lot of work to do because, as I said before, this season it will slowly go out to sea 
And we're already four weeks in. We're already a quarter into the season. Before you know it, we'll be halfway into the season. The World Series will be over. And then you look at the record. Giants are 3-5 and five and won't have a chance. And those final eight games will be meaningless. So we'll see how that uh, all shakes down in the days and weeks to come. For not only Gang Green, but also the G-Men. All right, let's quickly go around the league You know, with some of the big games. I know I'll, I'm not going to skip, but... You know, do we really need to talk about Green Bay and Buffalo? 22 nothing, And I understand that Buffalo won in Minnesota the week before, which was mind-boggling, but 22 nothing. The Packers cruise to a victory there, so away we go as far as that game. As a matter of fact, let me trim the fat with some of these games because I know, although there have been a lot of crazy games and just wild and wacky ones, and we'll get to some of those, but uh, let's uh, trim some fat here. Here we go. Tampa, well, I guess Fitzmagic is done. And remember what happened Monday night. He had that rough first half, although they came back firing in the second half only to lose 30-27. to Well, they get whacked in Chicago. They lose 48-10. I know a lot of the Buccaneer players were upset that Fitzpatrick had now been pulled where Winston came in. He threw a touchdown pass, but also threw two picks. Who knows who's going to be the quarterback come this week. And that's where... This could get out of hand for Dirk Cutter. I know the post game, he says that everybody out there who played should have been fired, including me. I don't know if he was uh, certainly hoping that would be the case, that he's tired of running this team and considering they got off to a great start. You know, 2 0, if it's Patrick with the three games of 400 yards plus, which has never happened to start off a season. But uh, now you got to wonder what's happening there. In Tampa with the comments that Cutter made and will he go back to Fitzpatrick after this week? We'll certainly see. But 48-10 and the Bears right now, 3-1 and one in the NFC North. Uh, what can you say about New England? Uh, that was a game that last week we talked about and we said, wow, this could be very interesting to see if the Dolphins could put the screws on New England that they were uh, reeling a little bit at 1-2. and two. Dolphins came in at 3-0. and oh. I understand they haven't been world beaters, but still they beat the teams that were in front of them. And as you saw yesterday in Foxborough, 38-7, that's all you need to know about where the Dolphins stand and, of course, where the Patriots stand, where a lot of people are ready to throw dirt on them uh, a little too soon. Obviously, a lot of football to be played. You know, Brady had uh, a big day as well as Sony Michelle had 112 yards on the ground. Brady had a couple of picks but threw for 274 and three touchdowns. Uh, Seattle, Arizona. Uh, the, the story of this game was Earl Thomas and... We'll get to him a little bit later with Le'Veon Bell. This is where Le'Veon Bell's smiling right now, and sadly at the expense of Earl Thomas. But we all know the situation with him, that he reported to the team literally days before the season started. He wanted the contract extension or to be traded. Obviously, the Cowboys were first and foremost in his mind. And what happens? This past week, he did not practice at all. Then he comes in the game, and he breaks his leg. He's out for the year to the point where, as he's being carted off into the locker room, he flips the bird at his own teammates. And that's just... I mean, that's inexcusable. I'm sorry. Earl Thomas, I know you're old world. I know you're old pro, but come on, dude. Really? I don't know if there were some teammates that were ragging on him. I don't know if they were just, you know, clapping for him. And he just said, hey, here's the middle finger. Uh, Just a classless move on his part and just bitter. And I get that, you know, this is, he was waiting for that big payday. He was waiting for, I'm sure he was waiting for the season to end so he could go to greener pastures. And right now, uh, him being on the shelf for the rest of the year is certainly going to hurt that. And he's not a young player either. No matter, he's still a very effective and he's a Pro Bowl, all-world, all-pro type player. But 
he is, I believe he's 29 years old. And for him to get that long contract right now, we'll see. I'm sure there'll be a team out there that's going to spend the money. They know the leadership qualities that he has, etc. But uh, no pun, tough break for Seattle there. 20-17, Arizona still looking to get their first win of the season. Or did they actually win last week? No, they uh, are 0-4. As I uh, take a peek at the standings here. Four weeks in already. Unbelievable how the uh, season just, uh, just seems to fly. But that's football for you. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. The Thursday night game last week, the Rams are, I would think, the pound for pound the best team in the league. 38-31 over Minnesota. Jared Goff had an enormous game in the air, 465 yards. I know the Vikings tried to make a valiant comeback, and now they're 1-2-1. and Their season is kind of now in limbo. You wonder, you know, what, the, what, what lies for them in the days and weeks to come. This is a team that was built to win a Super Bowl this year, bringing in the quarterback. I get it. It's only four games in. Can't get crazy, but... Now with the Bears at 3-1, and one, and now the Packers at 2-1-1, one and one, Vikings a game behind them. Uh, certainly some, uh, some concern there in Minnesota, wondering what this team's going to be here uh, after going to an NFC Championship and having a big season last year. Uh, Cowboys, I mentioned, 2-2. Two and two. They had a uh, big comeback there late after the Lions scored a touchdown right above the two-minute warning. Uh, but the Cowboys marched down the field. An enormous game there by Ezekiel Elliott. Had uh, almost 200 yards from scrimmage for the game. Or actually had over 200 yards, I believe. Had 152 yards on the ground and about 80-something in the air. So the Cowboys get to 2-2. Two and two And the Lions, although winning, beating New England the week before, they're 1-3. and three. Uh, Let's see, other games that we could just kind of punt to the side. Anybody crazy about the Chargers beating the 49ers? I know the Niners jumped off to a 14-0 league. And C.J. Beathard actually had a pretty decent game, but the... Chargers who lose these bad games certainly uh, did not on this day as uh, they go ahead and win uh, 29-27. Melvin Gordon had 104 yards on the ground. I told you about C.J. Beathard's game. Actually, a pretty good game for him with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo on the show for the rest of the year after his torn ACL the week prior in Kansas City. And now as I look at the rest of the schedule, just crazy games, and I'll just try to Breeze right by them as quick as possible. Uh, Bengals and Falcons. Bengals off to a 3-1 start. Uh, a wild game down in Atlanta. 37-36 to was the final. Uh, what could you say about uh, Andy Dalton, who's had a very good start to his season? Uh, the key play in this game, obviously, was toward the end where Andy Dalton threw just a remarkable pass, and only a guy like A.J. Green could catch it. The back of the end zone in the corner with uh, seven seconds remaining. They were down five. They get the uh, winning score there. They went for two. They failed, but they were able to hang on considering it was only seven seconds left. Big win for the Bengals as they win in Atlanta. And again, Atlanta just can't seem to win any of these close games. Uh, I don't know if that Super Bowl, uh, and again, that was with you know Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator. I don't know if they're still feeling the effects of that. I don't think that's the case. I mean, obviously that was uh, two seasons ago, but the Falcons, with all the talent that they have, Granted that they've lost a lot of key personnel on defense due to injury over this first four weeks of the season, but the Bengals are uh, off to a great start and just an awesome display of uh, offense by them. They've uh, scored 30 points in four or three of the first four games of the season. And the Bengals right now uh, tied with the Ravens, but uh, have the advantage since they beat the Ravens earlier on in the season in the AFC North. Uh, Houston and Indianapolis. I know this is a game that had a lot of people's head shaking, especially if you're a Colt fan. Colts had a, uh, as they went into overtime, and Angelo just had an enormous game. I mean, he had a touchdown that brought them to the end of regulation and into overtime. 
Both teams actually exchanged field goals in the overtime, but for whatever the reason, with just a precious couple minutes left on the clock in overtime, and I understand you don't want to play for a tie, I get that, but why did Frank Wright go for it on fourth in his own territory where it was incomplete, and pretty much Houston was lined up in field goal range? I mean, there were a couple of plays from lining up to kick the game-winning field goal, but you get my drift. I get his logic by you play to win games, it was fourth down. You were trying to make a play. You didn't want to play for a tie. I get that. But not when the ball is in your side of the field. I mean, you just don't do that, and especially with just a couple minutes remaining. I'm sure that's a lesson that's going to be learned big time on his part. And he said in the postgame, 10 times out of 10, I'm playing for the win. Well, all right, well, we'll see down the road when he's put thrust in a position like that again and he has to make that decision. Is he going to think back to this game against Houston and when he blew it? And lost a game for his team, especially in the division, a home game, uh, just a brutal loss. And Houston finally gets on the in the win column. And Deshaun Watson had a very good game yardage-wise, uh, certainly showing no ill effects from the knee that uh, injury that he had last year. But at the same time, I still need to see more from this than Deshaun Watson. And again, the team's one and three, so we can't get crazy. But despite the fact he did perform very well, as the Texans prevail over the Colts. Uh, what could you say about Cleveland and Oakland? And here's the crazy thing about it. This is where you know Cleveland will look at these games down the road, whether Hugh Jackson is going to be the head coach or not, but these are the games where they're going to look back on and say, this is where we've learned. Or like the old famous Kevin Hart saying, oh, you're going to learn today. And what they're learning is, is that in the four games that they've played this year, and granted that they finally won one and they tied the other, but they could actually be 4-0 in the season. You would think with a young team, Quarterback in the mix. They have the defensive stalwart, the leader there, and Miles Garrett. And of course, you have the other, the kid, Denzel Ward, a corner that they're going to build that defense around. These are games that they're, I'm sure they're going to put in their back pocket if they're wily, wise, whatever it may be, and their coach has to instill that in them. And we, again, we don't know if Hugh Jackson is going to survive this. But for them to lose this game, and Granted, they probably got a call that went against them on that spot there where they should have had a first down. They should have been able to win the game. No, it goes into overtime. In fact, they had to get a touchdown and two-point conversion, the Raiders did, to force the game into overtime. And then in overtime, the Raiders go ahead and win a thriller. They get their first victory of the year, and the Browns you know, just suffer just another excruciating loss. I mean, there's no other way to cut it. And Baker Mayfield had a very good game. And I understand that the Jet fan, you can't get crazy about Baker Mayfield having success now. And despite the fact that they lost that game yesterday, because I know you see the Jet fans now. Oh, look at Baker Mayfield. Look what he's doing. But again, it was against the Raiders. So let's not get crazy. And Jacksonville is a team that, as we all know, is one of the top defenses in the sport. So before you start getting crazy about whether or not, hey, maybe Baker Mayfield would have been nice in a Jet uniform. Stop it. Stop. 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 Philly and Tennessee, another crazy game. Went into overtime as Tennessee wins. Carson Wentz, as I mentioned earlier, had a big day. And has actually performed pretty well in his return from his ACL injury that he suffered last year. But the uh, Eagles, and uh, and a lot of overtime games in this early part of the season. Which, when you look at it, it either shows there's a lot of parity in the league. Or teams still haven't gotten you know their full bearings 100% considering that a lot of the starting unit does not play in these preseason games. So maybe with all the abundance of overtime games that we've seen so far, 
maybe a lot of it could attribute to the lack of playing time in the late summer during the preseason. But be that as it may, Tennessee, they were down 17-3 in this game. They came roaring back uh, to the point where they actually had a lead there in the fourth quarter. The Eagles tied it. And then with the Eagles having the ball in overtime, they actually took the lead with a field goal. But then Mariota marches the team down the field. 10-yard touchdown to Corey Davis as they win. And Tennessee uh, atop the AFC South with Jacksonville. But remember, they beat them last week, so they have a half-game lead on the Jaguars. And the Titans certainly looking very formidable here in this early season. To think their only blemish was losing that week one crazy game with the delays in Miami to start their year. So, great start there by the Titans as they certainly persevered in that game. Uh, let's see, a couple others before. Uh, I think I got through all the games here. Houston, uh, he was talking about Houston Indy, Miami Indy, Cleveland, Oakland, Seattle, Arizona, San Francisco, LA. The buys were Carolina and the Redskins, as I mentioned before. And yes, let's just get right to it. Uh, last night in Pittsburgh was. Steelers-Ravens, which is annual on NBC. Seems like the game's been played more, or the NBC game they show a lot is usually the one in Pittsburgh. Steelers, before you could blink, it down 14-0. The Ravens march down the field, opening drive, score a touchdown. Then as the Steelers get the ball, Vance McDonald gets stripped. They punch it into the end zone, 14-0, and you're thinking, oh, geez, it's going to be a long night. But the Steelers come back, and funny enough, I mean, it's crazy as this is going to sound, I thought the game was going to be over after 14-3, Flacco connects to John Brown, who all of a sudden is uh, Bullet Bob Hayes, on a big 77-yard pass. Now they're first and goal. They're ready to punch it in to go up 21-3. Alice Collins fumbles at the one. Steals recovered. They go almost the length of the field, 79 yards to kick a field goal, which I thought was critical because if they would have punched it in then, I think it would have been a different game. But as it was, the Steelers were able to Sustained some drives. They even got a touchdown right there before the end of the first half. It's 14-14, and you're thinking to yourself, all right, their offense is clicking. Everything seems to be fine. This Raven defense, which has not allowed pretty much any points in the second half of these games. I think nine points in the first four games that they played this year or going up into the game last night. So you're thinking, all right, Steelers have momentum. They've gotten back, you know, gotten themselves back into the game. All right, let's see what they can do second half. Steelers only muster 49 yards in the second half. They couldn't do anything with the ball offensively. Defensively, let's not even go there as far as their defense is concerned. Uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record from weeks past. They just do not have the personnel, like your daddy's Steeler defense did, to play or even to perform in a system like this. We all know it's 3-4. We all know zone blitz. They, They play a lot of zone. At one point, I was actually shocked that they actually went man on one series, which led them to kick a field goal. And we all know Justin Tucker, the guy is just an all-world field goal kicker. The guy could kick, yeah, I mean, please. That guy, when he misses a field goal, that's making news. But the Steelers couldn't do anything in the second half offensively. Their defense, I understand they made some stops at 14-0. They were able to keep the offense around the game, but then when the offense isn't going to do anything, you know the defense isn't going to hold up, and they certainly didn't. They, we all know they miss Ryan Shazier big time. I think that zone defense, I'm not going to say they need to scrap it, but they just do not adjust well on the fly in these games, despite the fact that they did uh, have that one series where they actually went man and what happened? Oh, the ball was incomplete. And I said it from time and time again, these teams continue to kill the middle of the steel of defense in the middle of the field. 
Always. And why is that? Because they play zone. And again, they don't have the personnel. They don't have the speed that they once did. Ryan Shazier was the quarterback of that. And we all know his game is predicated on speed. He's not there. When Troy Polamalu played, or even when Lawrence Timmons, now he wasn't the fastest guy in the field, but he was he was smart. He was a smart player. He was the guy that usually went up against a tight end. And obviously you had guys that would close in on that, you know, the linebacking crew in the secondary, a la Troy Polamalu. You don't have that. You don't have those type of players. It's a wholly, totally different unit. And it's almost as if the Steelers defensive minds and including the coach they think that they have this type of personnel that could play this type of system and as we all know when you play that zone scheme it takes a long time for them to learn this you know this isn't something that you're going to pick up right away and they have a lot of young players on defense again this isn't the Troy Polamalu Lawrence Timmons Lamar Woodley James Harrison defense that the Steelers had in the past Ike Taylor no it's a team that's still trying to find its identity on defense. Yes, they do have a lot of they do have some speed. Obviously, a lot of that taken out with Shazier. And then what do you expect? When they're killing you in the middle of the field as they have all year, whether it's Travis Kelsey, whether it was last night with uh, Wooly Sneed, even the guy Max Williams, you know, they're throwing underneath, but they you know they're getting all the soft zones on that defense. So you have that to deal with. And then with the Steelers on offense. You know, Ben can't carry this team every week. And I'm going to say this, and this is going to be, it's not a, going out on a limb by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm going to say this about Antonio Brown. And he had a touchdown yesterday, and he had some catches. That obviously did not light up the stat sheet by any stretch. We all know that a lot of the shine has gone to the tight ends, whether it's Vance McDonald or Jesse James, or even GAJ, uh, excuse me, Juju Smith-Schuster, who's had a great start to his season. And didn't have a big game last night. But here's the one thing I'm going to say about Antonio Brown. I'm sure he's texting Le'Veon Bell right now saying, my man, get back on this team. Because I think with him in the lineup and him in that offense, he makes Antonio Brown better. And here's the reason why. We've seen a lot of double coverages on Antonio Brown so far this early part of the season. And even though a lot of the talk has been about the ball's not being thrown to him or he's not being targeted enough. We know the targets are there. It's just the production hasn't been there. And I think a lot of that is predicated, I'm not going to put this all on Le'Veon Bell, but when you have a guy, the dual threat that Bell is, it's only going to help not only just your offense, but it's going to help a guy like Antonio Brown where if Le'Veon Bell slotted, he's in a slot position as a receiver at times where he has been lined up as. Guess what? They're not going to shade a safety over to Brown side, they're going to have that safety play somewhere in the middle. Same thing with the play action. And the Steelers don't play action that much, but when you have a guy like Bell, as we all know the type of runner he is, what is that going to do? It's going to keep defenses honest. It's going to say, okay, here we go. It's going to be Le'Veon again. If Le'Veon's going to pound you on the ground and you expect it's going to be all Le'Veon, then that's when they're going to go in the air and Antonio Brown's going to be open in the middle of the field. Because that's the type of receiver Antonio Brown is. I mean, he could play the sidelines. We all know Tony Tutap and all that we we get that but as far as his production is concerned I think it's waned a lot because of the absence of Bell and people could say oh Reels you're crazy what happened in 2015 when Bell had the knee injury was out for the second half of the year and they, he still had big numbers alright and I can understand that but at the same time let's face it Bell 
is certainly a boon in this offense than he is a bust. And we know that. You've seen the games. I don't have to I don't have to explain that. But I really think that he's missing more so the team, but I know Bell, for his own selfish reasons, is wishing that Le'Veon was there because I know it puts even that much more pressure on the defense knowing that he's going to see a lot more single coverage. And Brown's not seeing that. That's why a lot of balls are going to Smith-Schuster. Balls have even gone to James Washington a couple times last night. Ryan Switzer had a you know nice game where he caught a lot of those balls in traffic in the middle of the field, you know, a la Julian Edelman type. And Brown is just not, it's not a matter of him not getting open, it's just, it's just being covered. All right, and what can you say about Bell at this point where the team is, hasn't, you know, they haven't found any offers, and rightfully so, because as I said last week and the week before that, if the Steelers are going to make a trade with a team, as much as they could try to get back from him, they're not going to get back because he's going to end up being a rental. You know, it's not as if a team can't sign and trade or they can't trade for him and then sign him right on the spot to say, okay, here's the whatever, five-year, $80 million deal that you want with a 50-some-odd guaranteed bonus money. That's not happening. So you know he's going to sit off to the sideline, watch the team suffer. I'm sure he's gloating in the process. But at the same time, it's only hurting him in the long run. But then... You got to couple that with the fact that what I mentioned earlier about Earl Thomas, and I know he's not laughing at Thomas and him being hurt as a positive, because of course you don't want to see any player hurt, and I'm sure he didn't want to see Earl Thomas get hurt, but that's where he could go to everybody in the football planet and say, this is what I'm talking about, this is why I'm not there, this is why I haven't been there, and this is why I do not plan to come back. And especially with his position and him getting a million touches, we all know that the potential of him having a broken leg or torn ACL or some debilitating injury is going to miss out on his payday. And that's it. So Steeler fans, I'm going to say this right now before we move on. Yes, I said last night, I posted on Twitter and on Facebook that the season is over. This season, just circle your calendar in two weeks. They play the Falcons, and they're limping into Heinz Field next week. And who knows how that game's going to shake down. Who know, Maybe the Steelers will win by default because the Falcons can't close out these games. But I'm sure Julio Jones and Matt Ryan are going to be looking at chops at that steal of defense. But the game that you're going to circle on is really is your season is two weeks from yesterday when they go to Cincinnati. Because they lose that game, you could just forget about the season. Because they'll have no division tiebreakers. They already have a tie in the division, which is not good. And if they do lose that game, they'll be 0-2-1. and As I think right now, the season is over. And reason why is that their defense is awful and their offense is one-dimensional. And no offense to John uh, to James Conner. I mean, the, the kid is playing his heart out. But A, he's not Le'Veon Bell. And B, he, just doesn't, he doesn't bring half of what Bell brings. The kid brings a ton of heart, a ton of energy, but he just doesn't have that He's not Le'Veon Bell. No offense to the kid by any stretch, but listen, I I know people were going crazy over that first game one against the Browns and everything he did in that game, but uh, come on. Were you thinking that it was going to happen week in, week out? Yeah, then you're obviously sadly mistaken. So that's why the Steelers aren't going to go anywhere this year. 
And I picked him to go to the Super Bowl, and not because I had the pom-poms and I'm a huge fan. I just thought that, right, if Le'Veon was there, and even without Shazier, you figured that they would just outscore teams, that that would be enough. But Ben can't do this on his right arm week in and week out. There's no way. He's not going to be able to pull these games out of his rear end. And if the defense aren't, you know, they're not going to force any turnovers, then how do you, what do you expect? So that's why I think they're going to have, I'm not going to say they have a long season, but in one words of Jim Moore, playoffs, yeah. That's slowly but surely. And again, it's only four games in. I get that. I understand. A lot can happen. Things can change. I do, but that I tell you, that Bengal game is going to be enormous because I know the Bengals, I don't, let's see, we're going to look at the week five schedule. The Bengals right now, they're 3-1, and one, as I said before, tied with the Ravens atop the division. Now, next week, the Bengals have to be at home because I think the last two weeks they've been on the road. They played at Carolina and at Atlanta these last two weeks. So they play the Dolphins at home next week, and then they play Pittsburgh the following week. So if they're 4-1, and one, and let's say Pittsburgh's 2-2-2, two, two, and two, you mean to tell me that team, and we all know the Bengals, they have not had success against the Steelers in big spots. And this will be considered a big spot for them because this game will mean more to them than it will be for the Steelers. Because for all intents and purposes, this could be a damaging uh, death knell for the Steelers in their season if they go into Paul Brown Stadium and lose. And not to look two weeks down the road, but this is something to think ahead for Steeler fans. That is going to be an enormous game. And not to overlook Atlanta because you can't do that in this league, but... You want to see where your season is going to go? That's going to be the game. Because then they have a bye after that. And then after the bye, they play the Browns at home. And we know the Browns are improved, despite their record. And then the Ravens in Baltimore after that. Followed by a Thursday night game at home against Carolina. So they have literally three games in about 12 days after the bye. And right before that, the Bengals. Keep that in mind because, yeah. That stairway to seven and all the talks and hopes before the season started that, hey, this could be a big team and there could be a top two seed in the conference. Boy, that is slowly but surely fading away. All right, let me give you a little uh, NHL preview here as we uh, start to get on the back nine of this uh, podcast. As far as the, and, and it just crept up on us. I felt that it was like 20 minutes ago when Alexander Ovechkin raised his First Stanley Cup over his head in Las Vegas as they won game five in that series. And now here it is where Boston and Washington is going to open up the season on the uh, NHL Sports Network. But with the locals, the I'll start with the Islanders for this reason. Not because I'm an Islander fan, but now this is going to be a team that's AT after Tavares. We know what they did in the offseason as far as bringing in the coach and also Lou Lamorello coming in here. Trot's coming off of that, the aforementioned Stanley Cup. And this is a team that, although they brought in the goalie from Buffalo, this is a team that certainly didn't do anything to shore up their defense. Is now with the shadow of Tavares, now going to be Matthew Barzal with his skates that he's going to have to fill and what that's going to cast over this team. And even though they're going to play some games in Long Island, it's going to be a little nostalgic, but how is this team going to perform night in and night out, even with a Stanley Cup winning coach at the helm and with Lou Lamorello at the top? Uh, I think it's going to be tough sledding for the Islanders this year. 
Uh, that's all there is to it. Yes, they do have some pieces on offense, and I get that they're going to have, you know, hopefully from some of these drafts that they had over the last couple of years that these kids will start to play and hopefully pan out to where they'll be a good team in the years to come. But this year, I mean, listen, they were on the outside looking in last year, and now you lose your franchise player, and how do you expect to be better? Uh, listen, I, I can't see it. I, I'm not going to say they're going to have an awful year, but would you be surprised if they, you know, going to be in the lottery and up for a top pick? I wouldn't be surprised. I don't expect it to be. I, I think that the team, knowing that they have that Stanley Cup winning coach and a guy like Lou Lamorello in the building, it's certainly going to, and I hate to use this word, improve the culture of the team. But at the same time, if you don't have the talent, especially on defense, I mean, think about this. The Islanders in half of their games gave up at least 40 shots in the game. If that same beat continues, it's going to be a, there's going to be nights where they're not going to be able to stop that puck. 40 shots a game? In 41 of the games. Hey, come on, people. Do the math. So the Islanders will see how they fare this upcoming season. I know the games in the Coliseum will be electric. But at the same time, do you expect much? I don't expect much as a fan. And I guess you could say the same for the Rangers because this is a team that, although they won't say the R word, rebuilding, but they're certainly doing that. With all the draft picks that they've had, especially this past offseason when they made a lot lot of those trades at the deadline. And Henrik Lundqvist, who is the elder statesman of this team, but at the same time, certainly looking as if he's on borrowed time. What is he, 35 years old? You can't expect him to play at this elite level. And we all know he tailed off a bit last year. And granted that the team wasn't good and they traded off a lot of parts. But, you know, when you have that age, and in this case, he's an ageless goaltender, but he could only do but so much. Especially on a team that, you still don't know what their identity is. You know, the Islanders, you know they have the young offensive pieces and not much else. But with the Rangers, right, you know you have the goalie, but he's not in the prime of his career. And then on top of that, you have players that could certainly make an impact, but don't know because it's all potential and you don't know if they're going to make that impact. And as we've seen many times over the years, especially in the Glen Staley years, that the Rangers, you know, they would bring in that type of guy, you know, whether it was the Rick Nash type of player of the world or even going even further back whether it was the Pavel Burres you know trying to reclaim some of that magic that he had earlier in his career when he played in Vancouver or when he was with the Florida Panthers that's just an example but the guy the Rangers usually bring in that type of guy Pat LaFontaine many years ago uh, trying to think of another impact type of player that they would bring in so well that's a typical Ranger move and more often than not it would certainly benefit and it would certainly fare well but would it lead them to a Stanley Cup title, uh, that never happened. Well, the Rangers have gone away from that with all the young players that they drafted and a lot of these kids that are supposed to step in and you know, and hope to make an impact on not only just with the team for this year, but hopefully for years to come. Because as we all know, the, ever since the Rangers made it to the Cup Final 2015 and the Conference Final, they just have regressed ever since then. And now they have the new coach to, to, from Boston University who's coming to the mix. So you have a guy that's a former college coach, although he has experience on the uh, coaching in the NHL level more as an assistant. But now that he's getting his shot to 
get his feet wet in the league, and especially in this market and one of the original six, we know it's going to take time, and we know that with these type of players that are going to be in the lineup for not only this year but for years to come, you're only hoping to look at the future as opposed to looking at what lies ahead. And when you look at what lies ahead, as you hear some background noise, I'm not filming this from the my palatial studio. I'm actually in the apartment. So if you're hearing all this vacuuming and all this other nonsense, my apologies. But then when you turn our attention, when you look at a team that lies ahead in the New Jersey Devils with a guy like Taylor Hall who won the MVP last year and looking to do big things as far as the Devils are concerned, you only hope that they could build off of that. And with the number one pick that they got from the year before, him building his resume and trying to become that player that's just going to be that much more of an impact. And now Taylor Hall, who I believe is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So that's going to be a tough decision for them to make where they want to bank on a kid who, let's face it, he was a number one pick several years ago at Edmonton. He is right now the franchise the face of your franchise, you sign him by any means necessary. And, you know, it's not as if it's, you know, it's going to hamstring, I'm sure, with the cap and trying to figure out how you're going to fit other pieces and other players into the mix as far as building this team. But, you know, when you got an MVP caliber player on your team who's young and certainly had done wonders for your team making it to the postseason, although you lost in the first round to the Lightning, you know, you have to do whatever it takes. You just can't say, all right, well, thanks for the two years and away you go. Unless you're just going to blow it up and try to trade him by the deadline and get pieces back. Well, I guess you could do that too. But then what are you telling your fan base after a 92-point year last year and first round of the postseason? And we all know it's about Stanley Cups. It's not about just making the playoffs. But hey, obviously they did a lot better than the Islanders and Rangers did last year. They didn't even sniff the postseason. So with the Devils, you would think out of the three, they're going to have a better year. Can they make that leap to go up against the... Teams like the Capitals, like the Penguins, you think that, you know, you figure they're going to bounce back this year. You know, Bruins, you know, you, you know the teams, Toronto, obviously, with Travaris in the mix, so you figure that they're going to try to make a deep push for a postseason run. You know, then out West, listen, I can't uh, handicap what's going to happen out West. We all know that Eric Carlson was the big deal that they got, you know, San Jose, San Jose, who made a cup final two years ago, you would think that they're going to be in contention. You also wonder if Nashville, who had a bitter loss to their season, will they be able to bounce back? Winnipeg, who was also a very solid team. Vegas, are they going to have a sophomore slump? I almost think that the West has a lot more intriguing stories than the East. And if I had to pick a Stanley Cup final, I know people are going to look at me and say, well, Jay Reels, you know, here you are, you're giving us a mild NHL preview. I mean, the sport isn't what it once was, let's just face it. So I'm not into it the way I once was. If anybody who knows me and has listened to the program, I'm more of a tough guy, intimidation, physical presence type of uh, follower of, of hockey in that regard. You know, the hockey today is it's it's, uh, it's ice capades. And I get it. Not every game can be slap shot. I get it that Jay Reels, what are you talking about? It's about goals, not about fights. I Please. You know, who do you think you're talking to? I understand that. But it's almost like the NFL now, it's not the same sport it once was. And as the best quote that was said many years ago by someone who I hope to get on the show one day, I won't mention his name, but he said that they ruined the man's game in the NHL. And that's what it was. 
back then it was a man's game where you went into the spectrum and you knew it was there was some hell to pay to win a game in the spectrum or the old Madhouse on Madison Chicago Blackhawks the old Chicago Stadium or even the old Forum or you know some of these buildings that were just tough to play in that were intimidating the old Boston Garden I mean those that's when hockey to me that's when hockey was hockey now it's just it's a shell of its old self it's all there is to it but as far as the Stanley Cup final I've always had an affinity for San Jose. I know Anaheim is also another team that could be, you know, in contention. Uh, didn't want to leave them out. But when I look at the NHL and I just look based on some of the stuff I've read, I'm certainly not going to go and start breaking down rosters and things of like that. No, of course not. And I know people will laugh and they'll say, oh, Jay Reels, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm not sitting in front of this microphone trying to make believe or trying to act like I know what I'm talking about, but I'm just going to tell you what it is that I've seen or read or heard or whatever, and that's that. You know, and I just hope to get into it a lot more this year than I have in years past, but if the game doesn't have that same passion and fervor that it once did three decades ago, then it's it's tough. And I'll be honest, that's how I feel about football sometimes with the way the rules are and the way that just being, the way the commissioners treated the game over the last few years, I, it's, just, it's just not the same. And for the most part, sports have been like that too. Analytics and baseball. Uh, you go down the line. But all right, I digress. Stanley Cup final. If I had to pick right now, my Stanley Cup final, and I know they probably don't want to hear this, meaning NBC, because they want to have a sexy Stanley Cup final. They want to have an original six final. Or they want to have, you know, they want to have a, they would sign for Blackhawk Bruin like it was in 2013 Stanley Cup Final. Even then, the ratings won't be phenomenal, but you know people know the original six, the casual sports fan. I'm going to select. Here's my Stanley Cup Final. They're not going to like this, but I'm going to say the Tavares impact in Toronto. I'm going to pick a Maple Leaf, Toronto Maple Leafs versus San Jose Sharks Stanley Cup Final. And you're going to say, why, Jay Reels? Well, I gave you the reason why for Toronto. Tavares missing piece with Austin Matthews. They'll probably go to a conference final and they'll probably, if they've had to predict, but I'm going to say, hey, why not go to a final? Pittsburgh, although they're savvy, long in the tooth, I think, you know, the age is starting to creep up with that team. They've been together a long time, especially the, the core of Malkin and Crosby. Capitals, can they do it back to back years? New coach, I don't know. Is there another team that could rise from the East? Quite possibly, you could Tampa. I know that's a team that's they're going to be tough to reckon with, but you know Tampa always seems to not play in a big spot. So I'm going to say Toronto, and I'm picking San Jose because San Jose has been a team that they've been like the Capitals in the East. Now the Capitals finally got all the hump last year, but they've had all the talent. They've had guys that have been mainstays on that in that organization for many years. You know the Joe Thorntons of the world, the Patrick Marlowe's, you know guy Logan Couture's, guys like that. And you would think that one of these years they're finally going to get over the hump. Well, you know what? I'm taking them this year. And I'm going to I'm picking San Jose to win the whole thing. There you go. So there's your NHL preview. I know it wasn't much of one. You know, I didn't go to the divisions and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, I broke down a little bit of what's going on here locally and then gave you my take on that. And I understand it may not be the best take. I'm sure you could go, you know, to other avenues, but uh, there'll be some hockey talk at some point throughout the season. And uh, I got a couple of hockey guests. Hopefully it's just a matter of them getting lined up and on the program to discuss 
not only just the league, but also the inner workings of the league. So uh, be sure to check the website and uh, any of my social media accounts for that. All right, let's wrap this up. I know it's been an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, college football, you had Ohio State and Penn State where Ohio State came down. Uh, they were down two touchdowns or pretty much two scores, uh, 26 to 14, and they came roaring back. Thanks to some big plays by their quarterback and Penn State, who just let one slip away in Happy Valley under, you know, with 110,000 fans watching. Just a uh, tough loss for them. And we all know that Penn State, if they would have won that game, that certainly would have helped them move up in the ranks as far as. Now, the FBS obviously is not going to be released, but we all know that if you're not in the top four, you're not going to play for a national title. Still a lot of football to be played, but that was a game that they should have won and should have certainly hung on to win. But uh, Penn State. Uh, falls to Ohio State as, uh, like I said, two key plays. And I understand, excuse me, the uh, Penn State quarterback was phenomenal, had 460 yards just himself, Trace McSorley, uh, running and throwing the football. But the Buckeyes behind Dwayne Haskins, their quarterback, and of course their coach at Urban Meyer, who it's his second game back from the suspension early on this year, won a uh, pivotal game. And as far as the games this week, I know I didn't, hadn't talked about college football the last couple of weeks, but uh, let's see what matchup we have here. This is a Red River shootout week, I would think, right? Usually it's the first uh, weekend in October. And let's see where we're at. This is uh, week six. So before we uh, sign off, anything interesting happening in college football, we got, yes, Red River shootout is taking place at Oklahoma, at the Cotton Bowl, I should say. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma, they will be your early game. And as I scroll down here to see, you usually have that uh, big matchup at night. LSU, Florida. If you're interested in that, your typical 330 CBS, Florida State, Miami, for nostalgic purposes, that game's being played at Hard Rock Stadium. Kind of miss those old games at the Orange Bowl. And your uh, nightcap game, let's see what we got here. Notre Dame, Vatech. That's uh, your ABC. Notre Dame, of course, we know is on every week. But there are your uh, primetime matchup there Saturday night. All right, people, you know where to get your information about the program, www.jreels.com. But even more importantly, people, pass the word, spread the word to those who are interested in sports. Because as we know, with uh, social media and the power that it has, it's certainly imperative to get the show out to as many people as possible. Since I independently host, produce, edit, write this program that I love to put out each and every week the social media sites that you could find me on j reels one just the number one on twitter as well as j reels on instagram and j the j reels podcast j-a-y-r-e-e-l-z podcast at facebook and also smartphones i know everybody's got the new iphone i'm sure we know that there's a podcast app. That's right. It's in purple. Podcast. Just hit that. Or if not, if you have a Galaxy Note, Galaxy, whatever you, whatever your smartphone has, just go to whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, even on Spotify. So if you stream your music on Spotify, guess what? Just type in the J Reels Podcast. Click subscribe. You'll be the first to get your notices, whether it's Monday or if I have a pop-up surprise podcast which I may have I haven't thought about just yet after the Yankee game on Wednesday it's quite possible I may put up one Wednesday night for Thursday but uh, again it's not official but go to my social media sites to uh, to stay tuned with that but again spread the word on all those podcast platforms uh, leave a rating post a review again that's only going to increase the visibility amongst all the other sports podcasts in the universe 
And on top of that, it will uh, just not only just increase the visibility, but also the popularity. And I'm just forever truly grateful and thankful that you were able to download and listen to this. Me battle about sports for the last hour and 20 minutes. I try to keep it concise as possible, but of course, I just want to inform, entertain, engage. But most importantly, deliver credible sports talk here on this platform each and every week for the masses. And once again, thank you very much for all your love and support and following the J-Reels podcast. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy the NL playing games today. Enjoy Yankee fans Wednesday night in the Bronx. Again, stay tuned if uh, if I'm going to post a show regarding that uh, contest and see who they may or may not play in the next round of the MLB playoffs. Enjoy all the football, everything that's going to entail the baseball playoffs this week. And until next time on the J-Rose podcast, on the flip, baby.